أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. So, how many pillars of Islam are there? How many? Five. By the way, what are pillars of Islam? What does it mean by this term? Orkanul Islam. Pillars. What's the role of pillars in a building? They're the foundation of a structure. If those pillars are not there, then that structure cannot stand. Correct? And sometimes, if you remove even one pillar, then that will cause the structure to collapse. You know, for example, if anybody has had their basement made, and then you have this awkward, weird pillar right in the center, and you're like, what's the purpose of this pillar? Can't you just remove that? They're like, no, no, we can't remove that. If we remove that, the house is going to fall. It's only one pillar. But on that, the entire house is standing. So likewise, there are certain actions, five in particular, that a person has to do so that his Islam is valid, so that his Islam is acceptable. If he leaves even one, then his Islam is not acceptable. So what are the pillars of Islam? First of all, shahada, declaration. A person has to believe in his heart and he has to declare that yes, I believe, there, I testify that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah and that Muhammad wasallam is his messenger. Second pillar, salat. A person has to pray. Third pillar, third pillar, zakah. A person has to give the mandatory charity given on specific kind of wealth at a specific time and it is of specific amount as well. And then, fourth, fasting in the month of Ramadan. And fifth is Hajj. So inshallah today, we're going to learn about Hajj. Now in Surah Al-Baqarah, we have learned about so many of the pillars. Right at the beginning, we learned, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ Right? Likewise, we have learned about وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Right? zakata. Zakat has been mentioned directly as well as indirectly. Then we also learned about fasting. And now we are learning about Hajj. So we see that Surah Al-Baqarah is a very comprehensive surah. That in it all of the pillars are mentioned. Some in a lot of detail and others in not that much detail, but they're all mentioned. Now Hajj is an act of worship that is very different from other acts of worship, very unique. In that a person has to physically, financially, mentally devote himself to this act of worship. A person has to take time out. He has to actually travel to go for hajj. Even if he's living in Makkah, still he has to take time out to go to Mina, to go to Arafat, to go to Muzdalifa. You can't do hajj while you are at work. You can't do hajj while you are at home. Can you fast while you are at work? Of course you can. Can you fast when you're at home? Yes, you can. You can pray salah as well. But hajj, you have to cut down everything. You have to stop everything in your life and you have to go for hajj. And hajj is actually the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is something that we are obligated to do and it is the right of Allah. In the Qur'an we learn that وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ That it is the right of Allah that people must perform the hajj of the house. It is the right of Allah. And people, when they perform hajj, they should do it for whose sake? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
At the end of the first juz, we learned that Ibrahim when he constructed the Kaaba, he also made a dua. And what was that dua? وَأَرِنَا مَنَاسِكَنَا And oh Allah, show us our ways of worship. Teach us how we're supposed to worship you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him how he was to worship Allah. And of those teachings was what? How to perform hajj as well. And Ibrahim salam was also commanded, we learn in Surah Al-Hajj, ayah number 27, that Ibrahim salam was commanded, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِيقٍ And proclaim to the people the hajj, meaning call them to hajj. Make the announcement for hajj. And the people will come to you on foot and on every lean camel and they will come from every distant pass. And this is true. If you think about it, at hajj, all sorts of people come. People who are very well off and people who are not too well off. People who will take literally a day to come. Others will take a few hours to come. And others will take weeks to come. People take different means, different ways to get there. But people come to perform hajj from every part of the world. This is why sometimes when you're there, you're wondering what language people are speaking. You have no idea. Your ears have never heard those sounds, those words. You wonder what kind of clothes they're wearing, which country they're coming from, what food they're eating. All sorts of people come for Hajj. There is no other place in this entire world where you will see such variety in people, except for at the time and place of Hajj. And we see that performing the Hajj is actually an obligation on every believer who is capable of performing Hajj. In a hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ said, hasten going to Hajj, meaning perform the duty quickly, don't delay it. As soon as you are able to go for Hajj, then go. Why? Because none of you knows what will happen in the future. No person knows what will happen in the future. You know, you could get seriously ill, you could have certain obligations because of which even if you want to go, you're not able to go. Because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Anything could happen that could prevent you from going. And what is it that you don't delay in life? Whatever is very important to you. So, this is the right of Allah. And if Allah is important to a person, then He will not delay in performing hajj. Another hadith tells us that whoever dies without performing hajj, whoever dies without performing hajj, and there was nothing that was preventing him, then let him die as a Jew or a Christian. Meaning it doesn't matter to Allah. Allah doesn't care about his Islam. That this person was able to perform hajj and he chose not to perform hajj, then Allah doesn't care about him in other words. So this is a very serious matter. A very, very serious matter. You know when it comes to applying to university, applying to a certain school, applying to a particular program, people plan from months in advance. Sometimes people plan years in advance. People, you know, they want to get married, and girls especially, they rush through their school, they rush through their studies, they rush through one thing after the other because they say, my parents want me to get married. So marriage is a priority, everything else fits in place. When hajj becomes priority, then everything else will also fit in place. But we have to realize that this is something that is very, very important. How many people have actually been for hajj? 
Okay, alhamdulillah, few of you have. Do you know what happens at Hajj? What do people do at Hajj? What do people do at Hajj? Talk quickly. Raise your hand. What do people do at Hajj? Yes. Talbiya, okay. At Hajj, people say the Talbiya, meaning they're constantly saying, Labaik Allahumma Labaik, right? What else do people do at Hajj? Okay, you go to Mina. Where else do you go? You do Tawaf, okay. What else do you do? You go to Arafah, what else do you do? You go to Muzdalifa, what else do you do? You have to throw the stones, that's called Ar-Rami. What else do you have to do? Slaughter the animal as well, meaning offer sacrifice. So, you're familiar with these words, are you? Because I'm going to use these words a lot. So I don't want you getting confused. Okay, what was this word and what was that word? Right? So there are certain terms that we must be familiar with. Okay? Now, just imagine you're going for a trip. Okay? And this trip is not such that you're just going to go to your friend's house in another country and you're going to stay there for two weeks and then you're bored and then you're like, okay, can't wait till I go back home and you go back home. And when you come home, people ask you, so what did you do? Nothing, we were just at their house. That's no fun trip. Right? So Hajj is such a trip in which you go from place to place. There are certain things that you have to do at certain times, at certain places. The appointments are already booked. The reservations are already made. So you have to be there because it's a very busy trip with a very fixed schedule. You know when people go for tours or they take packages or whatever, then what happens? You're going from one theme park to the other, to the hotel, to a shopping mall or whatever. So like this Hajj, it's performed in maximum six days. So write this down. It's a six day long trip. Okay? And there are four places that people will visit in these six days. What are those four places? First of all, Al-Masjid Al-Haram. I'm not talking about what people will do there. I'm just telling you about the places that people will visit in Hajj. So first of all, Al-Masjid Al-Haram. What is Al-Masjid Al-Haram? Where the Kaaba is. Alright? Secondly, Mina. What is Mina? Mina is a place that is close to Masjid Al-Haram. It's an open place where people, they spend their days and their nights in the open, in tents. Okay? If you've ever seen images of Hajj, you may have seen these white tents. Right? So that is Mina. The third place that people will visit is Arafat. Okay? Arafat is also an open plain. And there are also many mountains over there. You may have seen images of Hajj where people are standing with their arms raised up. Okay? They are standing where? At Arafat. The fourth place that people visit is Muzdalifa. Muzdalifa. Muzdalifa is also another open plain. So how many places do people have to visit? Four. What are they? Masjid al-Haram, Mina, Arafat, Muzdalifa. How many days of Hajj? Maximum? Six days. So let's begin the trip, how it's going to be done. Okay, the schedule. Let's go over it. The first day of Hajj, it is 8th of Dhul-Hijjah. Write these dates down. 
8th of Dhul Hijjah is the first day of Hajj. And this is known as Yawmut Tarwiyah. Not Talbiyah, Tarwiyah. Yawmut Tarwiyah. And this is the day when the pilgrims, they leave from Makkah and they go to Mina. They go from Makkah to Mina. And at Mina, they spend the day and the night in open tents. Okay? So they spend which day in Mina? The 8th of Dhul Hijjah. Second day of Hajj is the 9th of Dhul Hijjah. And on the 9th of Dhul Hijjah, the pilgrims, they leave Mina just after Fajr and they go to Arafat. Where do they go? Arafat. So from Mina they go to Arafat. And over there they spend the day and then after sunset without praying Maghrib Salah they go to Muzdalifa. Sunset means what? Now it will be night time and that means the date will change. The next day has begun. Right? So now you are in the third day of Hajj. Okay? So they left Arafat, they spent the entire day in Arafat, the entire second day. After Maghrib, they went where? To Muzdalifa. So they get to Muzdalifa when? In the night. Alright? So in the night, what are they going to do? Stand and pray Qiyam? No, they're going to sleep at Muzdalifa. That's what the Prophet ﷺ did. That was his sunnah. So they spend the night in Muzdalifa. Now, day three of Hajj, that is the tenth of Dhul Hijjah. What will people do? They spent the night in Muzdalifa. Now as morning comes in, they will go to Mina. They will go where? Back to Mina. So, quick recap. People go from Masjid al-Haram, from Makkah to Mina. They stay the day and the night over there. The next morning they go to Arafat. Arafat, they spend the day. At night, they go to Muzdalifa, they spend the night over there. In morning, they go back to Mina. Now in Mina, this is day 3 of Hajj, and it's the 10th of the Hijjah, it is known as Yawmun Nahr. It is the day when the pilgrims will slaughter their animals, offer their sacrifice, they will also do the Ramiul Jamal. Okay? And they will also either cut their hair or they will shave it for the men. And then the three days which are known as Ayyamu Tashriq, they begin. And what are they? 11th, 12th and 13th of the Hijjah. 11th, 12th and 13th of the Hijjah. And these are known as Ayyamu Tashriq. In these days, where do pilgrims go? Nowhere. They stay in Mina. They only go for the Ramiul Jamal and Tawaf to the Kaaba and then they come back. Is it complicated? You just have to understand where you're going, from which place to which, at what time, on which day. That's it. So starting from Masjid al-Haram, go to Mina, go to Arafat, go to Muzdalifa, go to Mina, that's it. That's it. How many days? How many days? Six days. So I want you to read your notes to the person sitting next to you and make sure that you have the order right. You have to have the order right. There are a few things that I didn't mention to you. There are 
you can say the fine details of the trip. Okay? And if I start talking about those things, then it will get a little difficult. It's like if somebody says that we're going to spend the entire day at Niagara Falls, you're like, okay, what are we going to do there? When are we going to go on the boat? And when are we going to go on the helicopter? And when are we going to go the wheel, the Ferris wheel, and on the double-decker bus and whatever? So if you start going into all these details, it's going to get a little complicated. If you want to know about those details, then you may consult your travel agent, right? Your trip planner. So likewise, if you want to go into more details, you may consult any book of Hajj. But inshallah, when you go for Hajj, you will be trained as to how to perform Hajj. So for now, this much understanding is good enough, inshallah. To have an overview of what's happening so that we can understand the verses. Okay. The question is that if the Hajj only takes six days, then why do people go for months and weeks and several days, inshallah, we'll talk about that. Okay, let's begin the verses. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir raheem. Al-hajju ashhurun ma'lumat. Al-hajju, the hajj, it is ashhurun. Ashhur is the plural of shahr. And shahr is a month. Sheen ha ra. So ashhur, months. Ma'lumat, plural of ma'lumah, ma'lumah, that whose ilm is known, meaning that thing which is known. From Ain Lamim. So ma'lumat, ones that are known. So hajj is to be performed in months that are well known. In other words, there are a few months that are dedicated for hajj. What are those months? I mentioned that to you earlier, once upon a time. What are those months? Go back into your notes. What are they? Yes? Muharram? Rajab? Dhul Qa'dah? Dhul Hijjah. So four months of Hajj. Now, somebody just asked a question. Hajj is to be performed in six days. And over here we learn, Al-Hajju Ashhurun Ma'lumat, not weeks but months that are well known. Hajj is to be performed in well-known months. What does it mean by this? Meaning, the entire season of Hajj is these months. Why are months dedicated for an act of worship that takes only a few days? For two reasons. First of all, so that people have plenty of time to prepare for the trip, mentally, spiritually, physically, They can actually travel, settle, and then perform the hajj. And after that, they can wrap up everything, and then they can go back home. Alright? The thing is that hajj is a very spiritual journey. And for you to be spiritually involved in something, you have to be prepared from before. This is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ would not just fast in the month of Ramadan. He would fast before Ramadan as well, in the month of Sha'ban. He would fast before as well. Why? Because to enjoy fasting in the month of Ramadan, you have to be used to fasting from before. Likewise, for you to perform hajj, Easily, you have to be in Makkah from before. You have to spend a few days over there from before, so that you are in that routine. You can actually enjoy hajj, you can actually benefit from hajj. Alright? So, this is the first reason. So that people have enough time to prepare physically, mentally, 
they can take care of the travel, whatever. Secondly, to give importance to this great ritual. When something is very important to you, you don't just dedicate a few minutes to it or a few hours to it. You dedicate days and weeks and months to it. So Hajj is a very important act of worship and this is the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us to dedicate months to it. Now it doesn't mean that a person has to go months in advance. But he may. It doesn't mean that a person has to go weeks in advance. But he may. Again, he doesn't have to go days in advance. But he may. That allowance is there. And if you think about it, if there was only one day when all the pilgrims had to reach Makkah, tell me how difficult would it be? Already, soon after Ramadan, the Hajj flights begin. Right? And by the time the days of Hajj come in, it's packed. The Haram is packed. Mina is packed. Now imagine if all of those people were entering the Haram at the same time, arriving at Makkah at the same time. What would happen to those airports? What would happen to those airplanes? It would be very difficult. So this is the reason why several months have been dedicated for this great act of worship. So Al-Hajju Ashurun Ma'lumat And the point is that Hajj can only be performed at this time, not at any other time. Ma'lumat, it's well known, it's understood. فَمَنْ فَرَضَ So whoever made incumbent, whoever imposed on himself, what? The Hajj, when fihinna in these months. Farada from the root letter is faradat, and what does fard mean? An obligation. So over here, farada, what it means is that he intends to perform the obligation of hajj, meaning he makes it incumbent on himself that now I am going to perform hajj. He makes up his mind that this year I am going to perform hajj. So in other words, farada means that he is making the intention. Alright? He is making the intention to perform hajj. But the actual intention of performing hajj, when will that be made? Fihinna, in the months of hajj. So, can a person make the intention to perform hajj in the month of Ramadan? Can they? They can have an idea, a plan, okay. But the actual intention, when will that be? In the months of Hajj. Once that begins, then a person has the intention of performing Hajj. But more specifically, more specifically, Farada over here means that a person makes the intention of performing Hajj and he enters the state of Ihram. And he enters the state of Ihram. Because we know that when a person goes for Hajj or for Umrah, he is in the state of Ihram. What is the state of Ihram? Ihram haramim. Haram. That's what you think of, right? So Ihram is the state in which certain things are haram. A person cannot do those things which are permitted otherwise. So for example, for men, are they allowed to wear pants generally? Yes. Can they wear running shoes generally? Can they wear a hat on their heads generally? Yes, they can. What about socks? Yes, they can. What about a nicely stitched shirt? Yes, they can. 
But when they are in the state of ihram, can they wear stitched clothing? No. Can they wear running shoes? No. Can they wear dress shoes? No. Then what do they wear? Sandals. Right? They wear sandals. So in ihram, they're not allowed to wear shoes that cover the top of their feet or that cover their ankles. Likewise, they cannot wear normal clothing. They have to wear the ihram. Right? Which is sheets that they have to wrap around themselves in a particular way. For women, what's their ihram? What do they wear? What do they wear? Whatever they want. As long as it covers them properly. There is no particular kind of ihram for women. For women, it's only the intention that matters. Okay? Otherwise, as well, besides the clothes, there are certain things that are forbidden for people to do in the state of ihram. Such as cutting of the hair, trimming of the nails, right? Likewise, what else is forbidden? Wearing perfume. People cannot do that in the state of ihram. So anyway, over here, فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجِّ What does it mean? That whoever enters the state of ihram, and obviously that will be when? At the time of hajj. Now remember I told you about hajj tamattu' before? I told you about hajj tamattu'. Hajj tamattu' is what? That a person in one trip performs umrah, and he also performs hajj. But... He goes and he performs Umrah first and then he comes out of the state of Ihram and then when the time of Hajj comes then he puts on the Ihram again. Alright? So, if you think about it that Umrah could be performed a day before Dhul Hijjah, right? The 8th of Dhul Hijjah. It could also be performed 10 days before Dhul Hijjah even begins. Alright? So, فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجْ Meaning, the moment a person comes in the state of ihram for hajj. Alright? And this could be in any time in the season of hajj. So, فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجْ Then there are certain things that a person is not allowed to do. فَلَا غَفَثْ وَلَا فُسُوق وَلَا جِدَال فِي الْحَجْ لَا غَفَثْ There should be no غَفَثْ what is rafath? Rafath is from the root letters rafasa, and rafath is used for sexual intercourse, but also any kind of sexual conduct that is between a husband and wife. So such is not allowed for a couple at hajj. A man, a woman, neither of them, if they're performing hajj, they cannot engage in such activity. La rafath. And if a person does, then there are serious consequences. He has to give the penalty, he has to give the kafara, his hajj is cancelled, he cannot continue his hajj anymore, and he actually has to repeat the hajj again. So la rafath, it's not allowed at all. Wala fusuq, no fusuq either. Fusuq is not allowed. What is fusuq? It's from the root letters fasin qaf and fisq, fasiq, yafsuqoon, right? What is this? To commit disobedience. To cross the limits of obedience and enter into the realm of disobedience, meaning to disobey Allah, in simple words. So la fusuq, there should be no disobedience, because you are taking time out of your schedule, you are spending so much money, you are actually physically present at a particular place to perform hajj. Why? For the sake of Allah. Then how can you disobey Allah at that time? Wala fusuq, there should be no sinning. And when people gather together 
Are there opportunities to disobey Allah? Yes. They're multiplied. When a person is alone, can he do ghibah? Can he backbite? No, you can't. Unless you start it on your phone. Okay? On your computer. Right? But otherwise, when you're alone, you can't do many wrong things. You can't lie. You can't cheat. You can't backbite. But when you are with people, then the chances of sinning, they increase. So at Hajj, there are many people that have gathered together. So this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it very clear, wala fusuq, there should be no sinning, no disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, we see that at Hajj, there could be many unpleasant things that may happen. Right? So this could lead to showing impatience. This could lead to fighting, which is why the next thing is wala jidal, and there should be no fighting at Hajj either. Yes. Yes. Anyone who's gone for Hajj for Umrah will tell you such stories, right? That because it's a trip where you're telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm here for you. Labbaik. Allahumma labbaik. I'm here for you. And when a person goes to Allah, then Allah will test him, right? Are you really here for me? So Allah will test him. So this is why when a person goes for Hajj, then he is tested throughout the journey. Many unpleasant things happen that normally would not happen. Many things go wrong that normally never go wrong. So every person is tested. This is why Allah says, وَلَا فُسُوق وَلَا جِدَال There should be no sinning and there should be no fighting. Also we see that at Hajj, segregation between men and women is not possible. Right? It's not possible. So some people, they take advantage of this. They look at others, they tease others, they harass others, unfortunately, even in the most holiest of places. And people have their belongings with them. And many times it happens that people in a hurry and let's say they forget something of theirs or a person is sitting reading Qur'an and their bag is open another could easily pick their pocket or take something from their bag. They could commit theft. You know, there are many opportunities to do something wrong when there are people together. So Allah tells us, وَلَا فُسُوقُ There should be no sinning at all. Don't disobey Allah at all. وَلَا jidal And no fighting. Jidal, jim, dal, lam. Jidal is argument, the dispute. And it's basically a verbal dispute in which people are fighting with each other in order to win, in order to prove themselves right. So wala jidal. Now, at Hajj, there are many opportunities to fight, unfortunately. How? In different ways. First of all, in the matters of religion. Stranger, you go to perform an act of worship and people argue in the matters of religion. How? People will say, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to wear your ihram like this. He says, no. Who are you to tell me? My shaykh told me I'm supposed to wear my ihram like this. You mind your own business. And people become very abusive verbally. So in the matters of religion, in fiqh, because it happens that when you have so many different people over there, you wonder, why is she praying like this? And why is he standing like this? 
And why is he talking like this? And why is he reciting Qur'an like that? And what dua is he making? Oh, he's doing bid'ah. She's doing bid'ah. And people, they start arguing and fighting in the matters of religion. But it's not just limited to the matters of religion. Also in other day-to-day matters, people end up fighting a lot. Excuse me, this is my spot. And the other person's like, what language are you speaking? I don't understand you. Right? Likewise, you think there's going to be a nice, decent line, and you're standing and waiting in line, and the next thing you know, you've been standing there for an hour, and there's no line. And you go to a store, you're trying to buy some groceries, as soon as you reach out for an apple, and the next thing you know, somebody else grabbed that apple before, and you just feel like yelling at them. So, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? La jidal, no fighting. Don't fight at Hajj. Because you didn't go there to fight. You went there to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you don't want to ruin your Hajj by fighting with others. So, three things people are not allowed to do. La rafas, wala fusuq, wala jidal, fil Hajj. Wala tafalu, and whatever you do, min khayrin of any good. Meaning, any good deed that you perform, يَعْلَمْهُ اللَّهِ Allah knows it. يَعْلَمْهُ ilm. Allah knows about it. Any good deed that you do. If you think about it, three don'ts are mentioned over here. Three no's. Three prohibitions. And the list of do's, it's endless. Three don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But وَمَا تَفَعْلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ Whatever good that you do, there is no limit to that. The limit to doing good is the limit that you set for yourself. You can do a lot of good. But it's up to you how much you want to do. And you know like it was mentioned that every person is tested at Hajj. Everything that goes apparently wrong at Hajj is an opportunity to either do good or to do evil. It's up to you how you look at it. It's up to you how you look at it. For example, when it comes to sabr, what's the reward of sabr? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He will reward those people who are patient without any measure. And there are many times at Hajj when a person has to do sabr. But some people, they don't do sabr. Instead, they go and fight and they go and argue with others. It happens that you want to buy food and you can't find any food. It happens that your agent told you or your leader, your Hajj leader, they told you that certain things will happen at certain times and you're nothing like that is happening. Why did you charge us all that money for this? Right? So people get very angry at certain times. Now that time, either you do sabr or you display impatience. I have seen myself at Hajj. There were certain things that didn't go perfectly fine. And it happens in every group. Even if it's the most expensive group that package that you can get, there will be things that are unpleasant. And I witnessed myself that at Hajj there were some people who were furious. Instead of reciting Qur'an, making dua, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know what they were doing? Fighting with each other. Fighting with each other. Literally. Angry. Their faces full of anger going red, literally. And there were others who were in the same group, who were suffering the same problem, but they were sitting, reading Qur'an, making dua, whatever they had to do. So it's up to you how you look at it, right? There are certain things that are forbidden. You have to stay away from them. And the more you stay away from them, the more opportunity you will find to do good. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ And remember, any good deed that you're doing, who knows it? 
Allah knows about it. Because other people may never understand the difficulty that you're experiencing in your heart. How upset you are, how angry you may be, how hurt you are, how worried and concerned you are, how tired you are, other people may never understand. Who knows? Allah knows. So, وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمْهُ اللَّهِ وَتَزَوَّدُوا And take provision. For who? For yourselves. For what? For the journey. تَزَوَّدُوا is from the root letter زَيْ وَوْدَلْ And زَاد or زَوْد is to take provisions for a trip. That for example, you are going with your friend to Ottawa. Okay? And you say, oh, never mind, I'll leave my wallet at home. It's okay. I mean, she's paying for the gas anyway. Alright, you go without your wallet, without any cash. What's going to happen when you're hungry? What's going to happen when you have to pay for the hotel? What's going to happen when you have to refill the gas? Can you expect your friend to pay for everything, to take care of everything? And if your friend has to, what will they say? I'm never going with this person again. Never ever. And it's going to ruin your friendship with them. So what is Zad? Zad is the provision that a person takes, that a traveler takes with him to suffice him for the journey. To suffice him for the journey. Many times it happens when people are going for a trip, either they take too much stuff or they take very little stuff. Has it ever happened with you? That you go somewhere you're like, why did I bring all these clothes for just three days? What was I thinking? And then another trip that you take and you wonder, why didn't I bring more clothes? What was I thinking? Why didn't I? So either we take too much or too little. And when does that happen? When we're not thinking about the trip. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when you go for hajj, then tazawwadu. Take something with yourself. Take with you what will suffice you for the journey. Because who is hajj obligatory on anyway? Those who can afford it. So if you can afford it, then take whatever you need for that trip. وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ For indeed, خَيْرَ الزَّادِ The best provision is what? التَّقْوَى The taqwa. The best thing that you could take with yourself for hajj is what? It is taqwa. You know, sometimes we say, oh, you know what, this water bottle, it helped me so much throughout the trip. These shoes, I love them. They were so good throughout the trip. This phone, it helped me so much. It saved my trip. We say these kind of things, right? Because we benefited from them a lot. And we think that if we didn't have that particular object, our trip would have been a total fail or it would be extremely hard. Now, what is the most important thing that you need for hajj? Taqwa. That's the most essential thing that you need to take along with yourself. Because hajj is not a vacation. It's not a holiday. It's far from a holiday. Far from a typical vacation. Very far. Because it's an extremely difficult journey that is full of tests. Right? And if you think you're going for fun, you're going to be very disappointed. It's a journey that you're taking for who? For your soul. It's ibadah. And your soul 
your ruh, your heart, what does it need? Taqwa. That is nourishment, that is food for the soul. If you're going for mountain climbing, what do you need? The proper gear, the proper equipment. Without it, you can't do mountain climbing properly. Likewise, when you're going for hajj, you're going there not just to sit in buses and watch other people and eat food and go sleep at your hotel. No, you're going there to worship Allah. You're going there to make dua. You're going there to recite the Qur'an, to stand in prayer. And for that, your soul needs to be well nourished. Your heart needs to have energy. Because if you don't have that right equipment, then you won't be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala properly. So the most important thing that people need for hajj is what? Taqwa. That is most important. And this is the reason why we see that if a person goes for hajj and yet he is fighting, what's the problem? Where is the problem? Taqwa. Right? Likewise, if a person is going and he says, I don't feel like praying, I don't feel like making dua. Everybody is standing at Arafat making dua and this person is lying down, talking to other people, checking his phone, wasting his time. Why? Why is he doing that? Why isn't he taking advantage of hajj? Because what is missing? Taqwa. I remember the sister, she went for hajj. When she came back, I was asking her how her experience was and she was saying that she noticed that people who weren't used to praying from before, they couldn't enjoy hajj. People who weren't used to reciting Qur'an from before, they couldn't enjoy hajj. For them, hajj was difficult. And other people, you know, who are in that habit of praying to Allah, praying salah, reciting the Qur'an, they fully enjoy hajj. So the khayrazad, the best provision that a person needs for hajj is taqwa. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَزَادِ taqwa. And you see, Taqwa is what? The fear of Allah that stops you from doing wrong and makes you do good. And at Hajj, that is exactly what you need to do. Stay away from those things that are forbidden and do good. So for that, Taqwa is essential. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ taqwa. وَاتَّقُونِ And fear me, meaning fear Allah. يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ O people of intellect. O those who have lub. Albab is a plural of lub. O people who have intellect, fear Allah. What does it show? That the more intelligent a person is, the more God conscious he is. The more taqwa he has. What do we think? The more far from religion a person is, the more intelligent he is. It's the exact opposite. The more religious a person is, the more intelligent he is. That is true intelligence. So what taquni ya ulil albab? Fear me, O people of intellect. Scholars have said that this part of the ayah, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى This part of the ayah was revealed concerning the people of Yemen. The people of Yemen, when they would go for hajj, they wouldn't take anything with themselves. They wouldn't take their supplies. And they would say, we are here for Allah, and we trust on Allah, and Allah will take care of us. And you know what they would do at Hajj? They would beg before other people. They would ask them, you got some food? You got some money? You got some this? You got some that? They would say, we are the mutawakkilun. We are those who trust on Allah. 
they would bring nothing with themselves. So this verse was revealed that what does do? Take stuff with you that you need, but don't just get so busy in preparing the physical needs, the physical things that you would need for the trip, but also focus on developing your taqwa. Because that is what will help you. Sometimes it happens that some people, they don't think about where they're going, what they have to do. And when they get to the masjid or to wherever, they're wondering, okay, I don't have this, I don't have that. And they're looking at other people, they're expecting that other people should help them. And they start depending on others. They make things difficult for themselves and they make the things difficult for others. So you have to take with you what you need. But don't get so caught up in that that you forget the main thing, taqwa. Focus on that as well. Take that with you as well.